Hi, everybody. I'm George, and welcome to the best little horror house in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. And today's guest is a doozy. You might know him as part of the Pretend Friends or the gaming show Continue, but he's a movie aficionado in his own right. Nick Murphy is here. Hello. I'll take that title. Thank you so much. How's it going, Nick? (laughs) I'm great, man. How are you? I'm doing really well. You are one third of the show Continue, a big Philly gaming show that uh, I'm a big fan of myself. And you guys have played a handful of horror games on the show, including recently the Evil Dead game, which I was disappointed to see looked uh, pretty dreadful. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, Um, I think there's another, I think we have one more that we're saving for this Halloween. Oh, nice. uh, That I heard is kind of better. Well, hey, hopefully, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see. Um, are you into horror games at all on your own, like besides the show? No, like after I played like Resident Evil 2 with my brother in like 99, <laughs> I was kind of, I was like, well, these are too scary for me nowadays. They got way too advanced. I mean, even like NES Friday the 13th, like scared me as a kid. Um, hey, he yeah, was anything purple and blue like, with scary colors. Dude, he would just pop out, man. He's the king of jump scares. But yeah, like I, I felt, kind of fell off of the horror game. Yeah, that whole genre just missed me. Even once I had made the step into like being into horror movies, there's something about putting yourself like actually in the shoes of the person and controlling them that makes it just so much scarier. Yeah, um, well, you watch a horror movie and you're like, okay, I know what to do in this situation. And then you, put, <laughs> you play the game and you're like, I should just run in a straight line, never turn <laughs> anyway. Yeah, exactly. I remember I was in college when the game Outlast came out and I was living in a a house with several of my friends and I was up on the third floor and the two of us were playing it together and there's a jump scare like right at the beginning of it. And Mm. I was playing in the dark and it scared me so bad that I screamed and the friend I was playing with, um, my scream scared him. Oh my God. And then when he screamed, I was terrified again because all of a sudden my friend was screaming too. So I fell, made a huge thump, uh, and one of my friends literally ran up because he thought someone had gotten hurt. So the moral (laughs) of the story is um, Outlast was the last horror game that I played. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's like a chain puke reaction kind of thing. That's insane. It's been a while. Although I did like the new Friday the 13th game as well, which I guess is technically a horror game, although. Yeah, I heard that was pretty good, and I heard, um, I think there was like an Aliens game. um, Oh, yeah. That was like uh, Yeah, I heard that was a good uh, kind of return to that. Uh, Paul was telling me that the new Doom game, pretty scary too. There's some scary elements in that. Outside of video games, are you into horror uh, in in movies at at large? Is that something that you usually watch or is it kind of a a more rare thing for you? It's a little on the rare side, but I try and watch as much as I can. Paul finally, uh, Paul, who's on the the show Continue With Me, he's been telling me about Hereditary and um, Midsommar. And I watched Midsummer the other day, and it was it was a trip. It was definitely like <laughs> like an art house horror movie, and really interesting. But yeah, I try and watch some occasion. I have like a stack of of movies that I just try and like get through at some point. But it's 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 easily like twenty high at this point. Um, right. And there's a few on there that I've been kind of sitting on that I've been meaning to watch. Just kind of have got the mood for it. I want I, I want to watch a uh, girl walks alone at night. I think is I it? believe it's a, a girl walks home alone at night. And yes. Yeah. Definitely yeah. check that out if you get a chance. It's very like moody and, and atmospheric. And the main male actor really reminds me of kind of James Dean. Honestly. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a cool one. That one's been sitting on my pile. And uh, your next has been sitting you know, on my pile for like the past 
six months to a year. Um, that that just, great. Yeah. Just got to get like in the mood for, um, I think I'm going to try and tackle hereditary next. Cause I still haven't seen that. Can't recommend that one enough. I have already deemed it the best horror movie ever made a couple episodes back now. <laughs> really? All right, man, dude, that's uh, high praise. I'll take it. Yes. Well, well, I, 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 I do, do. I do say that for every movie that's on here. So, you know. <laughs> I, I feel the same way. People always ask me like what, I, what movie I should watch. And I like, I recommend like so many movies to them and they're like, that movie wasn't that good. I was like, I don't know. I thought it was great. Just yeah, the fact exactly. that it got made is enough for me. That's what it's all about. Is there a subgenre within horror that you find yourself watching more when you do watch it? Like, are you into like paranormal stuff? You prefer slashers? Definitely not into creepy kids. I, <laughs> I have a son. So like creepy kids just creep me out. Um, yeah. And then there's like realistic horror. Like the first Purge movie I thought was like a really interesting sci-fi horror kind of element. You know, when they start getting more like realistic, I think I like pull back. Like uh, my wife and I saw The Strangers in the theater. Yeah. Um, and that just like terrified us to no end because it was, it was, it, it was, there was no like paranormal part to it. It was just like, like yeah, that was that groundedness that really yeah. makes it feel too real. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I really liked like paranormal activity. I thought was really cool. All like the, the Blumhouse is really interesting. There's this great um, sci-fi movie they, they released a couple years ago called Upgrade. Oh yeah. Which is like more sci-fi, but there are like horror elements to it. Like there's a lot of like, viscera and gore and it's like kind of comes out of nowhere but it's really interesting oh yeah um, plus i mean just the the ethical horror of him being yes. unable to control himself and everything yes oh my god it's just so like hyper violent at some points yeah i did watch today um i put on the they made this a uh, banana splits horror movie do you remember the banana splits no the banana splits were um like a kid's tv show in the 70s it was like maybe the 60s it was like so there's the Beatles and then the American answer to the Beatles were the monkeys and the monkeys have their own TV show, like a variety show where they would sing songs and like do skits and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. The kiddier version of that was the banana splits. They were four like mascots basically. And they would sing songs and do like sketches and skits and stuff like that. Somebody got the rights to them <laughs> or something and turned them into like a five nights, Freddy horror movie kind of thing. Like the, yeah. the, the premise is that they've been doing the banana split show forever and these people go to a live taping of it and uh, the animatronics go haywire and they turn into like murderous robots. Like the horror version of uh, C-Lab 2021 or uh, Harvey Yes. <laughs> yes. I wish it was a little more funny. It was kind of just, it's just kind of bad. It was just kind of like a bad, like sci-fi mm. channel horror movie. Dang, that's a that's a shame, but I think that's a that's a fun idea at least for people to buy up rights to old old kids' cartoons and, and yeah. TV shows and uh, and do something yeah. with that. It seemed like a cool idea. Like I, I mean, it caught me with banana splits, and then I was like, nah, this is just like <laughs> the acting is not great, but like yeah. the premise is kind of like okay. Let's uh, let's start talking about the movie that you picked today as the best horror movie ever made. Um, we're talking <laughs> about 2004's Shaun of the Dead horror comedy directed by Edgar Wright and co-written by him and Simon Pegg. Now, uh, I say this to a lot of people who pick horror comedy kind of stuff, you know, movies, um, even like Scream, where it's, it's kind of, there's so much homaging and referential mm -hmm. stuff that happens in it. People have mentioned that they think that it's impossible for something like this to be considered the best because it wears its influences so proudly on its sleeve. 
it's standing on the shoulders of giants and it's it, it can't be the best because it owes so much to its predecessors so i'm just curious how you would respond to something like that i don't really feel that way i i, I I'm, I'm of two minds of the whole thing like i think there's a way to do homage and parody to a certain parody is kind of like the cheaper version of homage but i think the parody to me i look at the two on the same level um but like i think you can do it wrong and you can do it right i think like when you're and Edgar Wright, where you take the influence of those things and kind of like peel them apart and really get the essence of them and are able to like turn that into something new, like an Edgar Wright or like a Quentin Tarantino. I think that's like an artist, like you're seeing an artist at work and they're able to like pull the pieces that they want from it and reassemble them into something new and interesting and not just being like, this is this and I'm going to make my thing like this. It's, it's really taking like the essence of it. So you get really like the style really pops a lot. I think like a bad example of this is, and this is probably like a divisive opinion, uh, but like Joker was like that for me. The like homage and influence was so, so in the forefront that it really, I found it like very, very distracting and very hard to like, I, I don't know. Like I'm such a fan of when things get mashed up. For me, Sean of the Dead is like the best because, hey, it's horror and it's comedy and it's, it's a commentary on both of those things. And it's, it's these two things that don't belong together, mashed together in a really interesting way. And Edgar Wright is like a master of that. But for Joker, it just felt like, okay, it's Taxi Driver, but he is in the Batman world. And for me, when, minor spoiler for Joker, when, when it treaded into Batman territory, I was like, what is this? Wait, what is this movie? Like, yeah. Why? Yeah, I think pick, I think pick a lane and stay in it. You know, like there's it was kind of like all over the place for me. Yeah, I definitely agree. Honestly, I think that Joker. I think that it's a pretty okay movie. I definitely don't think that it should be in the conversation for best picture. Yeah, but I just think that it's interesting that people are like, "Oh, Joaquin Phoenix did so good, and this movie is so good." And I'm like, Joaquin Phoenix is good in everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. not. I don't think that this movie is the thing that made him be good in it like it's it's that would have happened regardless of the situation so i definitely i see what you're saying about how it's just a, a joaquin phoenix performance and also a ripoff of taxi driver like right right like so much so that even like robert de niro being in it and and him being <laughs> this like king of comedy kind of thing it just felt like the simple fact that there's like a trash strike in gotham city right like that's yeah. like it's like it's so on the nose dude it's like it's like you're not even trying to like hide it at this point and just to see like at the golden globes you know it's like quentin tarantino martin scorsese all these all these incredible filmmakers and todd phillips <laughs> you know like i, I I'm, I'm not i'm not trying to discredit him try be, being like you know comedy people can't make serious movies like adam mckay he's one of my favorite directors recently because he's he's able to turn that that comedy satire like lens on and and actually say something with this and i i wish that Joker kind of did that. I feel like Joker kind of like stepped up to the line and was just like, I don't know, you come up with it. You know, you you yeah. take what you want from it. Didn't really say anything. It just kind of was like, hey, isn't isn't it crazy, the world we live in? Yeah, right, right. Uh, I don't know. It just felt like someone with no emotional stakes just trying to say something profound and really not coming out that way. Kind of like I'm doing right now. <laughs> But to turn it back to like Edgar Wright, I think Edgar Wright can come up to that line and actually have something to say about the genre. And it can be a loving homage to the thing that he's not parodying. That's not the right word, but the, the, the thing he's trying to like showcase yeah. um, in an interesting way. I, I definitely don't feel that it's impossible for something that references and, and stands on the shoulders of other important works can't be considered the best. 
it's interesting that you mentioned Quentin Tarantino because you're not alone in loving this movie. He named it as one of the top 20 movies made after 1992. So he is also a big fan. Um, this was this was made for only five million dollars. Um, wow. You know, pretty good. Uh, it made around a little under forty million dollars at the box office. So it definitely made its money back, which you know you you love to see these movies actually be successful. And it's funny, you know, this was made in 2004. I can't believe this movie is 16 years old. Yeah, um, seriously. Do you, how, like, if you don't mind me asking, like, how old are you? Like, what age? I'm 27. Do you remember when this came out? Or I guess you were probably, like, you are probably, like, of age. Really, I was really excited for it. I had an older brother as well, so, like, you know, oh, okay. definitely wanted to be, like, the cool older kid. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I just yeah. remember, like, and I don't know if your experience was like this, too. I, I think I, ca- I caught it on, like, HBO or something. So I guess I was probably like a little later to the party. It was one of those movies that that you watch and you're just like, whoa, this is unlike anything I've ever seen before. It's so dense with with stuff. And it it was like, I immediately wanted to like watch it again. So I I immediately remember being like, I watched it. I remember vividly watching it in the afternoon, which Mm -hmm. is probably not the ideal time to watch like a horror movie. But like, I remember watching it like that and then looking on our guide to find out when it was coming on again. It came on later that night. And I remember watching it again, like two times in one day, just to like really absorb all of it. Because I feel like it's such a rapid fire, like comedy kind of thing. I, I, I was never used to that. And it definitely took like a two viewing to really pick up on like all the little subtleties of it. Definitely. I mean, you have, I mean, it's a joke a minute. And then on top of that, there's so much going on in the background of it as well. Mm-hmm. That- Really, uh, it, it takes at least two, I'd say, to yeah. really uh, absorb what's going on in this. Um, I mean, a real prime to like way to like pick that, like for me, like uh, the standout thing for that. Once I really like watching that that first sequence when when Sean goes to the corner store, right, and then he does it again after the zombie apocalypse happens. It's happening, and you're like, "Whoa, this is weird. This is deja vu." And then when you go back and watch it the second time, you're like, "Wow, every single character that he." sees along his journey and it's all a one shot which is incredible every character comes back in a zombie form and the thing they're doing normal is like this weird zombie version later it's it's incredible i can't i can't get over it yeah it's got it's got an incredible eye to detail and it doesn't show its age at all i mean the the only thing that dates it is uh, i listened to the commentary and also watched uh, the like on disc trivia thing and mm-hmm. the only thing that dates it is the insane amount of Urban Dictionary references. <laughs> they uh, they really <laughs> emphasized it. Wow, that's really funny. Yeah. So this is Edgar Wright's first real feature movie. Um, mm-hmm. And it's also the first part of the unofficial uh, Three Flavors Cornetto trilogy. Yeah. The, the other two are Hot Fuzz and The World's End. This is the red strawberry flavor that represents the blood of the zombies. <laughs> The other two are blue vanilla, which is uh, the police for Hot Buzz, and green and peppermint with uh, Chip for The World's End, which is the science fiction extraterrestrial one. Mm-hmm. So as you can see, Edgar Wright, really uh, a fan of kind of these genre movies. He has a real affection for these looked down on genres of, you know, like sci-fi and, and horror. He would eventually go on to make Baby Driver uh, recently, and one of my all-time favorites, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Mm-hmm. This also stars Simon Pegg as our titular hero, Sean. He also co-wrote it with Edgar. Uh, Nick Frost as Ed, Kate Ashfield as Liz, Lucy Davis as Diane, and Dylan Moran as our David. And that's our main group. Like you said, there's all this really amazing sort of symmetry 
it starts off at the Winchester in, right. in London. You know, the entire movie, this is where they're trying to get to. So you get a nice wraparound with the beginning and end, this, this focus on the Winchester. And you also get a really great introduction to the relationships of the movies. You know, it starts off, it's a lockdown shot of Sean and Liz, his girlfriend. And then we see Ed just off camera swearing and playing video games. And then there's Diane and David looking uh, disapprovingly over Liz's shoulder. <laughs> and then Liz has to treat Sean like a child, explaining what exacerbate means. And it's just this really great sort of microcosm of all of their uh, relationships with each other. The movie is is packed with nice moments that that on first viewing in the beginning of the film, you're kind of like, wow, that's just a throwaway thing. They're just They're just saying words or doing actions because that's what they would do. It really has no relevance for later in the film until later in the film, you realize these things. Oh, wow. These, all of these things have been building toward this. Even like when Sean and Ed are playing video games in their apartment, you know, they're like top left, top right, reload. Like these, this video game pastime that they have is actually training them. It's a skill they use later on in the film to tag team zombies. It's great. And Edgar, uh, in the commentary, he mentions that in order to establish a sense of realism, this is actually the only scene where there are no horror reference uh, in, the, in this prologue scene. Oh, interesting. And, yeah, and basically the long and short of it is Liz and Sean are in a rut. She's sick of it. Sean promises to change. We then get really nice opening credits. I've mentioned it before on the show, but I am a big fan of opening credits. I think that they've kind of lost a little bit of their luster recently. Yeah, I think the the television has kind of like surpassed movies in that. Like they're they're just good like title sequences now yeah. uh, in in TV shows rather than in movies. Definitely, um, but I think that this does a good job with the opening credits. I think that this is a nice one. It's a bunch of people doing repetitive tasks like zombies. It feels a little like Dawn of the Dead to me. You know, a mm -hmm. little like critique of commercialism and that sort of thing. It segues right to a reference to Day of the Dead opening with Sean sleepily staggering forward. <laughs> yeah. Since they're not necessarily actually uh, scary, uh, are you a fan of the Romero trilogy, like the original um, first couple zombie movies there? Yeah, um, I really like that one. I think four is where like the punk rock girl. Yeah, that one was really cool to me. And then I remember in high school, Land of the Dead came out, I think. It's the one... Like, I mean, they all take place in like the Pittsburgh area, but I remember like these zombies like going underwater and walking across the pool. So yeah, I've, I've, I've like watched all of those, um, you know, not religiously, but definitely enjoyed them. And I loved just the idea of zombies. I think it's a really interesting idea. I love Day of the Dead. I think that the third one is really spectacular. It gets overlooked a lot just because the first two are really amazing as well. I don't want to mm -hmm. take any shine away from them. They're definitely great, but... George Romero actually did see this movie and he loved it. And it's interesting that you bring up Land of the Dead because he actually wound up having Simon and Edgar cameo as zombies in Land oh, of the Dead. That's right. I remember reading about that. Yeah, yeah. That's so good. One thing I also want to point out early in this movie is Edgar Wright movies always have incredible editing. This sort of culminates for me in the music-infused editing of Baby Driver. But yes, yeah. There's some really fun, quick action cuts for mundane tasks <laughs> in this mm -hmm. movie. He himself said that it's an homage to James Cameron and Sam Raimi and those kind of intense tooling up scenes. Yeah, uh, Army of Darkness has a great one. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and I think that's really interesting. I think it really 
where it really highlights is the montage where they're making a plan to go rescue Liz once the zombie uh, apocalypse kind of starts. And the nice part about it is you see the plan unfold and then Ed interrupts and then they change the plan and then they change the plan again. And you see like the variations of that. So it's cool to, the, Edgar Wright is such a, a master of action and comedy and weaving the two together simultaneously and they both play off each other in really interesting ways. This leads into another reference. Like this is the second reference in basically two seconds. This time a reference to American Werewolf in London. And I just want to really reinforce what you said earlier about how he kind of absorbs these things into the core of the movie. It doesn't feel like in scary movie where they're just like, hey, do you recognize this thing? Mm-hmm. In this, it really becomes part of the film itself. Like this this reference to an American Werewolf in London. Uh, Peter Serafinowicz appears in the mirror behind Sean, but it's <laughs> something that he would actually do in this character because he's angry and is showing up behind him to complain about Ed's irresponsible flatmate behavior. It's I not, love Pete. Pete's the best. <laughs> he is great. He really is. Peter Serafinowicz, a really great actor as well. Pete is the name of the character as well. So. Yeah. <laughs> And um, it's it's really great. I, I honestly wish that he had a little bit of a larger role in it because he's it's fun seeing that kind of dynamic with them. But oh my god, the voice of Darth Maul, man! So yeah, good. I mean, how can you say no, right? <laughs> right. Um, and so his his complaints about Ed, who is Nick Frost, include leaving the door open and contributing minimal amounts to rent uh, made through selling weed. So right. the the implication is that Ed is uh, a no good Nick. As you right. Yeah. I mean, uh-huh. complaining about him leaving the door open is ultimately what leads one of the things that leads them to like having to leave the house. Yeah. I also love that Edgar is not above a fart joke. <laughs> yeah. No, not at all. It's so good. A silent one too, which is even better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You have to, you have to really like it, it dawns on you just as much as it dawns on Sean. <laughs> <laughs> this next bit is where we get that great steady cam shot that you were talking about where Sean is going to the, the market. And we get a little bit of background here as to what's going to happen, even though we don't really know to pay attention yet. This is kind of one of the things that lends to the rewatchability of it. There's a news report playing on a radio as he walks past, and it mentions that the American deep space probe Omega-6 was set to return to Earth on the weekend, but returned two days early, breaking up over a populated area of Southeast England. Mm. One thing that... Um, I don't think I ever noticed that. That's interesting. It continues kind of because when he goes into the market, he takes a look at the newspapers there. And I actually paused it to look at what the headlines were. Mm-hmm. And they're all talking about like a super flu that's claiming lives and nobody knows what's going on. But they're oh, finding man, mutilated cool. re- remains and blaming genetically modified, modified crops. So it's really like a lot of detail in there. And I mean, you see those newspapers for like two seconds. <laughs> So just really, you have to admire the level of craft that really goes into this. Yeah, it's really like an interesting way to just kind of like give the audience information without beating them over the head with it. Yeah, and it's not... It's not like a quiet place where it's like, meekness, sound, question mark? (laughs) Yeah, that's a a rough one. And what I also really like about it is that it is done in a subtle way, but it's also not information that's necessarily like integral to the plot. Like, it's great yeah. background and it's nice to have, but if you watch it without hearing that or noticing it or even just paying attention at all to it, like you're mm-hmm. still going to have a great time with this movie. Yeah, totally. And I think that going back to what you said about, um, 
you know, kind of the parody, the homage kind of thing. The cool thing about this movie is, is you could have never seen any of the movies that influenced this movie or even vaguely know what a zombie movie is. You don't need to know any information about anything to appreciate all the things in this movie. I, I always love movies that it's like, hey, here's this. But if you actually know what we're talking about, here's a little wink and a nod to you that like, hey, you're cool, you get it. You know, that's, that's what I always loved about his movies. Like if yeah. you get the homage and you get the thing, it's like an extra bit of entertainment that you can get from the, sh- from the movie. Yeah, it puts you in the in crowd. You feel, yeah, totally. Uh, you feel cool about it. There's always a really big emphasis on the soundtracks of Edgar Wright's work. I mean, the soundtrack for Scott Pilgrim vs. the World is just absolutely out of this world. Yeah, it's, it's on repeat all the time, like at, least like at least once a year for me. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And it's fun because in the next scene of Shaun of the Dead, Zombie Nation by Kerncraft plays, mm-hmm. which I think is a, a little fun thing. Yeah, even um, in the title sequence, it's um, Ghost Town by the Specials. Yeah, yeah really, they're, like, they're really haunting, awesome. really great. Yeah, just really... <laughs> just really like you hear it and you're like oh yeah this could easily be about a, a zombie town but he does that with a lot of movies where he, he mentions that they were considering also using we got to get out of this place by the animals uh um, that'd be cool yeah so just just really he he really has an ear for what good music is uh for the the scene and how how it impacts the action of it I mean, and two, two like really good examples of that at the end of the film. I mean, there's an entire fight scene choreographed to "Don't Stop Me Now" from Queen, and then um, going along with like the using news to like you know give information to the audience. There's that great part where it, it cuts to you know they're changing channels and it's cutting like every time they change the channel, like the TV is specifically warning them and telling them like all the information they need. The newscaster is starting that. They change the channel to Morrissey and it's like panic on the street of London, on the street mm-hmm. of London. They change to the next thing and it continues the story and explaining what's happening and stuff. So like using that, I feel like he's one of the, the early directors that like spoke my language. And I'm sure you kind of felt that way too. You're like, Oh my God, I only talk in movies and pop <laughs> culture. Like that's, that's this guy's right up my alley. Exactly. Yeah. You, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Sean in his day-to-day life works as an electronic salesman. He gets no respect. He's about my age and he is confronted in his uh, sales shop, in his electronic shop, not his, he's confronted in the electronic shop by his stepfather, Philip, played by Bill Nighy, a really great actor. Always love to see him show up and stuff. Mm -hmm. This is also when we get our first look at a zombie eating a pigeon and then vanishing as a bus passes. Yeah. But, yeah, and really just kind of like interjecting the weirdness that the character is experiencing for a second mm-hmm. and then, you know, them going back to their normal normal life. It's also like the first appearance of the the running, you've got run on you gag. Oh, yeah. um, I think Edgar Wright is so good at foreshadowing, you know, with, with throwaway lines that wind up meaning, um, you know, having like a big impact later down the line. Like in, in Hot Fuzz, there's... Work in the moment as a joke. Like, right, right. And yeah, it doesn't feel like force. It's just like, it just feels natural and then has like a, like a, in Hot Fuzz where, um, the James Bond guy, why can't I think of his name right now? Oh, um, Timothy Dalton? Yeah, Timothy Dalton. He's like, catch me later. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just like, yeah, he's the bad guy. Catch me later. <laughs> Yeah, he, he really is great at that sort of thing. He also, so George Romero, not the only director that there's an homage to in this. Uh, like I said before, Liz feels that they're in a rut, and so 
Uh, Sean had promised that he was going to get fancy dinner reservations at the place that does all the fish. That is <laughs> the actual title of the restaurant. <laughs> and great. yeah, it's, it's really fun when you see it as he's flipping through the phone book where he says it earlier and you're just like, oh yeah, that's just the colloquialism. But no, he genuinely, that's the name of it. That's so good. And we also see an ad for Fulci's, which is a fun reference to Lucio Fulci, who directed the movie Zombie. Oh, yeah. that's cool. And that, so that's an unofficial sequel to Dawn of the Dead. And it is the only movie, to my knowledge, that features a multi-minute fight scene between a shark and a zombie that's all practical and underwater. Whoa. <laughs> so if that doesn't uh, pique your interest, listeners, <laughs> I don't know what will. Man, that's so good. Yeah. Um, and this is also, we get to hear Edgar Wright on the phone uh, in this in this moment when he when he calls them about trying to get a reservation. Oh, he's the waiter. That's right. Unfortunately, they're full up. And so he calls up Liz and suggests yet again that they go to the Winchester. And so he, Liz immediately breaks up with him. She's sick of the Winchester. She's sick of their life right now. And she's just, she's not having it. Sean, goes over to Liz's to try and win her back. And we get some more relationship depth here, which is nice. We get to explore the characters a little more. Uh, this includes David's uh, obnoxious infatuation with Liz. And mm-hmm. boy, this scene is really just, he gets to really chew on it as he's smirking in the background while she yeah. yells. And it's really a great performance as he's like trying to hold back the smile. Really great. Um, that's also a great part too, where, um, Sean comes up to this, um, obstacle in his way and he's like, well, I'm just going to, I'll climb, climb the wall or climb the guard, whatever, whatever the British version of what he's saying is. And you know, it's a, it's a good gag. He winds up like getting to get buzzed in. Right. And then later in the film, he actually does climb the thing. And it's a nice thing that, that is a realistic kind of thing, but winds up being this heroic payoff for him later on. Yeah, it absolutely does. That's the kind of thing we see throughout the entire movie. You know, it's, it's not just in this one place. And, and that's the kind of thing that makes Sean such a fun character is that we do get to see him evolve and, and have these kind of triumphs when at the beginning he's having, he's, he can't even overcome the obstacle of a wall. <laughs> right, exactly. Sean is devastated that he's been broken up with. And so he goes to get drunk with Ed at the Winchester. If you leave me now by Chicago place, which I think is very <laughs> funny. Uh, I'm curious how you feel about licensed music in a movie as opposed to just score. I know that some people feel that it kind of takes them out of it because it's not the world of the movie necessarily anymore. Mm. It's it's your world intruding on it a little bit as opposed to just the more subtle kind of, hey, here's kind of the emotional core of what's happening with that happens with score. None of that ever bothers me. I always feel like putting pop music in a movie for me is just a reminder that this world exists in our world. Like a prime example, like I know for some people, the use of pop music in like Marvel movies, like really bugs people. I don't know with Guardians of the Galaxy, I thought it was a really smart and interesting way to make these characters that are otherworldly, really like, like in like an instant connection with them. Yeah. Um, and for and Edgar Wright uses that, uses like we talked about already, like music as a way to do that, to like, advance the plot. I mean, he made an entire movie all about music and how it connects to people. Two movies, actually. Jesus. Uh, like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's like an interesting way. To, it, it, it definitely can be used cheaply and lazily, but I don't think 
I would categorize Edgar Wright as ever doing that. <laughs> definitely, definitely not. So while they're at the Winchester, Ed details their plans for them tomorrow. He says, we'll keep drinking. And uh, everything that he says for tomorrow is a clue to an event that happens in the movie, kind of, again, with that emphasis on foreshadowing that Edgar loves to do. He says, we'll start with a Bloody Mary, which is the cashier that shows up at their house. Her name is Oh, Mary. my God. That's right. Yeah. And then uh, we'll have a bite at the King's Head, which is mm-hmm. Philip. Uh, we'll have a couple at the Little Princess. They're going to go pick up David and Diane, who are with Liz. Stagger mm-hmm. back here, which is acting like zombies, to the bar for shots. Use the rifle above the bar to kill the zombies. Oh, my God. Uh, That's so good. so smart. It's just so clever. It's, it's unbelievable how... All of these lines could be easily just be throwaway lines, but they serve such a good purpose. World's End is like a prime example of that. Like all the bar names having like, you know, relevance to like what happens in the story. He's just, he thinks about like his movies more than probably any other director does. Like, yeah, that's that's the thing is that for him, there are no throwaway lines. Everything serves a purpose. It's good real estate. It's just like, it's (laughs) like when I watch third, when I watch 30 Rock, it's like, there's no pause for the audience to catch their breath from laughing. Like if you miss the joke, if you don't get it, it's okay. There's another one coming like right now. And the cool thing is that like everyone's a home run, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's part of what makes him such an interesting director. And uh, the fact that he's been able to maintain it for such a consistent period of time is really remarkable. So the fellows pour themselves out the door and they see a zombie eating someone, although they think it's just them making out. I love, love, love this bit where they're singing Grandmaster Flash's White Lines Mm -hmm. and the zombie moans at them. Yeah, it's so good. They go home and we get to see Pete a little more here. He complains about them playing music at 4 a.m. and tells (laughs) uh, Ed that if he wants to be an animal, he can go live in the shed. Live in the shed, yep, yep. And more foreshadowing. He also (laughs) gripes about being bit by a mugger before berating Sean to get his life together. Mm -hmm. That shot of him in the morning like it going from night to day in like a one shot mm-hmm. with just like a lighting change i use that as an example of of ways to pass time in film like a really smart way to do it uh rather than like cutting to like an exterior or anything like that it's such a it's it's phenomenal yeah it really is they said that he sat there for literally 30 seconds and you see an, an incredible shift from it into the next morning it, it does a spectacular job in the morning, we get that same steady cam shot that we talked about before. Mm-hmm. This is yep. again, that, that kind of deja vu. This is actually the very first thing that they filmed is this post-destruction version. Oh, so, that's interesting. Yeah, pretty pretty ambitious of them. Yeah, <laughs> to, seriously. Uh, yeah, like a, what is it, like probably like two, three-minute one-shot? Yeah, and it took them 13 takes to get this done. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so really, they're putting the work in on day one. Yeah, seriously, um, that's incredible. This time, uh, a zombie apocalypse has overwhelmed London, and it features all the same people from before, now zombified, as you uh, mentioned before. But Sean and Ed are slow to notice, despite (laughs) uh, huge bloody footprints on doors, everything is deserted and destroyed. But eventually, because Ed sees, he sees Mary, the zombie, Mm -hmm. out in the garden. (laughs) He just look, he's looking out the window. He's underneath the shade, like the block. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> just like there's a girl in the garden the girl in the garden yeah that's what that's one of the things you're always like is that a british like term that i should know <laughs> or are they just saying things weird you know it's, 
yeah, I, I believe, uh, I think he said that it was a reference to something that I didn't know. That's one. And then there's uh, shortly after this, when Sean calls his mother and just interjects, is like, We're coming to get you, Barbara. Like, I didn't realize that that was like a, a throwback to I Night, think, of the Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. We're going to get you, Barbara. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's funny. Actually, uh, George Romero also didn't notice that. Uh, Edgar Wright says that when he talked to him about the movie, he was like, oh, what did you think about us using that line? Oh, that's he funny. Like, why, why would I care about that? I mean, it's totally in a different context. So it's, yeah, it's interesting. Yep. So yeah, so like I said, they're slow to notice, but they encounter two zombies in their, in their garden, including Mary from Landis Groceries. Landis Groceries, a reference mm, to John Landis, cool. director of American Werewolf in London. So for those keeping score at home, that's like four references to George Romero, two to <laughs> John Landis. Um, and Sean and Ed's face when he shoves Mary and she oh my falls onto the metal bar is just so funny. And it's so good because it's the most like polite encounter with the zombie. <laughs> just not wanting to do anything. And then it just escalates to this viscera thing yeah. <laughs> from her. <laughs> yeah it, it's and it's a great it's a great combo of digital and practical effects too which yeah. is it's it's nice because you use cgi as a spice mm-hmm. not as the whole thing you know yeah and this is uh when ed's habit of leaving the door open pays off in a negative way yep uh, when the zombie makes its way into their house and attacks them uh, ed kills it and they realize that the head is the weak point classic zombie lore mm-hmm. still in effect now, Sean is so Ed, important that the newscaster gives that information twice. Yes, exactly. He repeats. <laughs> repeats himself. <laughs> Sean and Ed beat the zombies to death with a shovel and a cricket bat, which is very British. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but this is not until after Ed hurls a bunch of Sean's records. So I know you're a big music guy, like we said. So I want, let's play Throw or Keep. Uh, <laughs> okay. In, in, in a fight for your life, would you throw or keep? An original pressing of Blue Monday by New oh, Order. No, I'd have to keep it. <laughs> <laughs> Purple Rain by Prince. I've actually never seen Purple Rain, so I don't have the same affinity for it. So toss it? Probably toss it. Sign of the Time is by Prince. Uh, I mean, if I had to keep one, I guess I should keep Purple Rain and throw that. I don't, I don't know what's in the collection, so... Yeah. <laughs> <I'm> gonna, yeah. <laughs> Probably um, throw a sign of the times. All right. The Batman soundtrack. Yeah, definitely throw it. <laughs> <laughs> and Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette. Oh, man, I'd keep that. That'd be fun to listen to and go back yeah, to. Yeah. That's a good one. And, uh, and that was actually an alternate to the Sade album that they have in the actual oh, movie. Funny. They considered using Jagged Little Pill and Tapestry by Carol King. Oh, man. Interesting. Yeah. Pretty pretty different from each other though. I wonder if it uh, if it was like when they shot Harry Potter, like the first one, where they just did alternates to figure out what would play well in America, what would play well in England. Yeah, well, plus they were probably like, all right, what what also uh, can we clear for cheap? Yeah, yeah, right, exactly, just in case. Yeah. So they throw these records at them. They kill the zombies, and then Sean gets a call from his mom and finds out that Philip has been bitten, to which Sean and Ed both respond, oh, okay. Which <laughs> <laughs> really funny. Uh, helps to kind of cement the rocky relationship that Sean has with his stepfather. And they say, uh, they come up with a plan to rescue Liz and Sean's mom, and then wait out the crisis in the Winchester. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is when Ed says, we're coming to get you, Barbara. Right. And 
they escape in Pete's car after finding the zombie Pete in the bathroom, completely <laughs> naked in the in the shower. He does a very funny physical humor bit where he like kind of falls into the curtain. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's it's a fun time. Then they go pick up Barbara and Philip. He gets bitten shortly after mm-hmm. again, and they they use Philip's prize Jaguar to pick mm-hmm. up Liz and her friends Diane and David. So now you've got all of these people. You got Liz, Ed, Diane, David, Sean, Barbara, and Philip packed into a sports car. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the zombie apocalypse for you. You really got yeah. use of every uh, square inch there. It's so good. On the way to the Winchester, Philip apologizes for being a bad stepdad, but says that mm-hmm. he was just trying to make sure he was strong and given the motivation to succeed, but it wasn't easy. They make up just in time for him to turn into a zombie. Right, right. And uh, to to care about the car while well, as he's still a zombie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like yeah. they uh abandon the car with like metal music playing. And then Zombie Philip turns the metal music off, <laughs> just like yeah. he did when he was still alive. Exactly. Yeah. It's they still seem to retain a little bit of there. A little, <laughs> so, little bit of old Phil in there. And it's it's really interesting to me that he manages to put in such a genuinely touching performance here. I mean, he's in what like three brief scenes, probably has under twenty five lines total. Um, yeah. And you still manage to uh, feel for him here in his death. So. Yeah, he really is like an amazing actor. Um and and like kudos to like Simon Pegg, man. Like he the whole movie kind of like rests on his shoulders and he does a great job. Um you know, there's parts at the end where it's like, man, I really actually feel for this guy. Definitely. And like you said, they kind of abandon the vehicle here because now there's a zombie in it. <laughs> uh and they go to continue on foot. And there's a fun kind of sneaking through backyards bit here. Oh, a, a fun reoccurring sneaking through backyards bit in all of his movies. Oh, yeah. They meet their mirror group, basically, where everyone is, it's like the same kind of tropes and archetypes <laughs> yeah. are in both groups. Uh, yeah, Simon, Simon Pegg meets Jessica Stevenson from Spaced, which Spaced has some great, if you've never seen that, that's a great show to watch because you get to see kind of like the pieces of Shaun of the Dead assemble. Mm-hmm. There's like a sequence where they're, they're Sean, they're not Sean, oh my God. <laughs> Tim, Simon Pegg's character, uh, thinks that there's like a zombie infestation. So you really see like, oh, wow, that's, that's the genesis of Shaun of the Dead right there in this little scene from this, this, this short series that they made. Yeah, it's very cool. It's only one, one season, so people should definitely check it out. It's not that much of a time investment. It's really great. It's also Edgar Wright, Nick Frost, and Simon Pegg. So definitely if you're into this movie, you should check, check out Space for sure. This mirror group also includes a nice cameo by Martin Freeman, who mm. has since gone on to much, much larger things. But in my heart, he will always be the star of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they find a huge mob of zombies between them and the Winchester. And they decide that the only way through is to act like zombies themselves. Now, this is, again, a, cl- a classic trope in zombie movies, although you do usually have to cover yourselves in viscera to get away with it. Yeah, yeah. But Sean does a great imitation of Bug from Day of the Dead here, and uh, (laughs) they are going through, but they find that the door is locked. And so Sean decides that he's going to be heroic here. This is kind of his first real heroic moment, and he decides that he's going to be bait to allow them time to get inside the pub. Mm. There's some really great costuming going on here. They said that they purposely avoided primary colors to create kind of a muted brown mass of death. 
Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, I'm curious what your opinion on fast zombies is, because this is very much sort of the slow, methodical, creeping death style zombies. I, I like the creeping death kind of one. Um, it's weird. I feel like the rage virus zombies from like 28 Days Later um, seems more realistic, but if they wind up being like Walking Dead, like decrepit ones, or like we had, once, the, once the fast zombie idea came out, it was kind of like, oh, this is a whole other monster that is terrifying. Like the idea of an unstoppable, you know, the, the idea of like an unstoppable horde is terrifying, but the mm-hmm. idea of like an unstoppable person running at you full force that can't be stopped from, by normal things is just as terrifying. So it kind of made like the group, the, the slow zombie is like the group is terrifying, but the mm-hmm. single zombie is much more terrifying as like a rage kind of situation. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I definitely prefer the slow the slow zombies. I feel like Simon Pegg said it very well himself when he said that death is not an energy drink. And yeah. I think that that is a really pretty much all you need to say as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. The rest of the group gets into the bar and David has like a little bit of a nervous break there. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. But they're rejoined by Sean after about 20 minutes and they decide they're just going to ride it out in there. The movie takes a turn for the genuinely kind of creepy here. When Sean turns on the light and reveals a horde of zombies, like literally on the other side of the door. Yeah. Ed also plays a game that makes a huge amount of noise and mm-hmm. attracts a bunch of zombies that cast all kinds of spooky shadows through the windows and everything. Yeah. Eventually, they wind up like looking around and finding the zombie form of the original bartender and owner. <laughs> and this is the don't stop me now scene that you mentioned earlier it is just delightful (laughs) yeah it's so good this to me is one of the moments that it it becomes like one of cinema's great music moments where it ties the song so completely together to the scene that it becomes almost impossible to use it in other movies even to hear it without thinking of the movie at least that's the case for me i mean i always think of this movie when that song comes on and it's a great song so it comes on pretty frequently for me mm-hmm. yeah same it definitely uh it, it's one of those cool moments that's like oh a fight scene to a cool pop song like that's cool okay like it, yeah and it definitely like cements that song and, and the scene uh in your brain two alternatives that they considered instead of don't stop me now were oh, interesting the song rasputin by boney m which is kind of a weird uh disco song that i have okay to enjoy Interesting. Uh, Never Gonna Give You Up by Barry White. <laughs> <laughs> Never Gonna Give You Up would be really interesting. I mean, yeah, like Don't Stop Me Now is cool because it's like, yeah, zombies are unstoppable. Like Never Gonna Give You Up is, you know, the idea of this unrelenting <laughs> yeah. love coming at you. That's interesting. Plus kind of the idea of they're not officially back together yet, him and Liz. And so yeah. the idea of how this works on another level with him trying to re- uh, get her back, uh, I think it would have been an interesting choice. I definitely love Don't Stop Me Now. I think it works perfectly. But just something where, you know, in, a, in another timeline, <laughs> we got n- never going to give you up there. And I think it would have been just as good. Mm, yeah, definitely. Sean takes a dart to the head here. <laughs> which is something that I did see happen once in high school. And it is really scary. (laughs) That's terrifying. They're so like the needle part is so long. That's terrifying. Yeah. The kid's mom was a nurse, thankfully. Oh my God. So she like 
came down and calmed us all down. But it was it was uh, really uh, a hell of a moment. And so this I mean, I'm sure that that kid didn't pull it out and use it as an acting prop immediately <laughs> no, he after. Did not. Okay. So he, he takes the dart out and then discovers that the Winchester rifle above the bar is indeed legally functional, as was mm. very much speculated by Ed throughout the entire yeah. movie. And that dogs can look up. Yeah, which he genuinely does believe. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's another, there's a great headshot here to cap off this fight. And it's another great blend of digital and practical. I really, I admire the way that um, Edgar Wright does this because don't get me wrong, I will go to bat for full practical 100% of the time, but if you're going to use digital effects, I think that the way he does it is great. He said that just the bullet hole in front is digital and that all the splatter and everything in the back is practical effects. Mm, interesting. Yeah, a, a nice compromise, I think. That's cool. Um, he, does that, he, he does that so well. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it blends together in a way that makes it unnoticeable, which is really what CGI, like, it, it's CGI is such an interesting beast to me because it doesn't become noticeable until it's bad. So when right, people are right, like, exactly. people are like, oh, CGI sucks. And it's true that when it's used in a bad way, it sucks. But in a lot of times it can do things like this, where it makes a nice little, you know, bullet wound exactly where they need it to be. And then they can focus on the practical effects of the splatter and everything. So, right. Exactly. Barbara, Sean's mom reveals to Liz her bite wound that she got while they were hopping fences earlier. It's, really just disgusting this is a great effect it's like a puddle of like a, her, half of her wrist is gone basically yes, yeah yeah and this moment is very representative of like the british stiff upper lip thing to me where she's like oh i didn't want anyone to be worried meanwhile yeah. she's uh, basically uh, dead <laughs> yeah they keep calm and carry on definitely <laughs> yeah. and then barbara dies after giving liz her necklace and approval and david goes to shoot her now, Sean stops him, causing them and the rest of the group to start arguing. Uh, Sean accuses David again of being in love with Liz. This time it is corroborated by David's girlfriend, Diane. <laughs> Drama! <laughs> <laughs> but Diane basically says, like, I know that you are in love with her. I was there to pick up the pieces. I don't really care. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Liz is able to stop the arguing. And a distraught Sean is forced to shoot his mom, Barbara, in the head. I think it's so shitty and representative of uh, David that he's the one who's like, oh, like, I have the gun, I'm going to shoot her. And then as soon as she actually becomes a zombie, he hands the gun off to Sean. and makes Right, right, to deal with. Really messed up. So come on, David, be better. <laughs> <laughs> he actually tries to leave David, but zombies break into the pub and he's disemboweled and devoured in a scene that really resembles Joe Pilato's amazing death in Day of the Dead. It, clearly, oh, you're right. He, he and I are simpatico on this because there are so many Day of the Dead references in this and it's really a, a spectacular zombie movie. So Yeah, it's really, he really gets like torn in half almost. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's great. And Diane runs after him into basically certain death. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, Sean literally is still holding the head of David. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And he actually uh, has it. He still has that head. It's stuffed full of dollar bills, he said. <laughs> um, the music here is also a really great musical homage to Suspiria and that kind of goblin synth-heavy style of score. Yeah. It's really great. There's, there was also uh, much earlier a uh, John Carpenter synth score reference. Um, 
it's really interesting to me that, like I said, he has this huge emphasis on music that he's able to pack homages and references even into the musical stings that happen. Yeah, um, that's interesting. I yeah, I, I saw Superior for the first time recently. I really uh, now I'm gonna have to rewatch Shaun of the Dead and really uh, keep, keep my eye out for it. Now for that, yeah, for an ear out, I guess. Um, <laughs> and Pete, Pete, finally he gets revenge. He shows up. And he uh, he bites Ed, gets yeah. his revenge for all the frustration. That's so good. And Sean is forced to shoot Pete, and you you feel bad. That's his buddy, but obviously uh, Ed is in rough shape. He's been bitten on the arm. He's been kind of wrestled around a little bit and manhandled. And Sean and Liz and now bitten Ed are hiding behind the bar, which Sean sets on fire. Just sets off a bunch of the bullets that are in a box <laughs> yeah it's a very funny scene because you're like wow terrible thinking but it right, does end right. up working out for him where it gets several headshots <laughs> yeah yeah and then that they know works the- out in their favor <laughs> oh yeah of course they head into the cellar and realize that they're trapped down there with only two bullets left and ed is gushing blood sean and liz contemplate how they're going to kill themselves because ed says he doesn't mind being eaten but they're having one last smoke, and he lights the lighter and notices with the, this little additional bit of light that there is a power button that operates a lift out to the street. So <laughs> there's no way that Ed is going to make it. He's really clearly almost dead. Mm-hmm. And so he volunteers to remain behind with the rifle and hold them off. Liz and Sean prepare to attack and make a run for it. But before they can do anything, the army arrives and absolutely massacres the zombies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just really light into them. And uh, the Daisy from space, she's there again. Oh, she her. made it. She lived. Yeah, I'm happy that she managed to survive. And as Sean and Liz walk off, they hold hands and everything is, is back to normal for them, except nicely, you know, it seems that Sean has grown up a little bit and become uh, much more of an adult. Now, in the newscast, as civilization returns basically to normal, uh, we get to see Edgar Wright as a zombie falling in the background. But we also get to see what's become of the world. We see them being used as like labor and entertainment. They're on game shows. And <laughs> there's, uh, there's zombie-aid instead of live-aid. Um, all kinds of fun things that feel like very realistic depictions of if this happened and then the world did go back to normal what kind of would be the ripple effects of this and i think that he's right in that they probably would just wind up being like late like cheap labor and uh totally but i mean but that was kind of cool with with this i feel like that was the first time in you know a horror movie like this especially a zombie movie it's like what is the world past where the movie ends you know like what (laughs) what does the world look like outside of our main story and i feel like that was a really interesting like peek into that really really funny sequence yeah and I, I always like that sort of thing where you get to see what happens afterward you get a little bit of payoff you get some of that reward i think that that is something that happens in video games really well because yeah you get the like hey i'm doing the final boss thing and then you get the final cut scene as well which feels like the reward and a lot of times you do kind of see things go back to normal so yeah and in some games you get to like you know, go back to the village it all started in and mm-hmm. see what see what the those people are up to and stuff. Definitely. And we see that in addition to the way that zombies are being used, Liz and Sean have moved in together. And best of all, 
Ed and Sean are still together. The zombified Ed is chained up in the shed. They're still <laughs> playing Time Splitters 2. <laughs> it fades to black, and You're My Best Friend by Queen plays. Ah, oh, perfect. It's perfect. perfect it's such a great ending. There's some semi-joking contemplation in the commentary uh, of a vampire sequel called From Dusk Till Sean, which That's I think great. would, God, just would have been spectacular, especially if he actually could have gotten Tarantino to be involved in it. And, you know, Seriously. It, they are uh, pretty close friends now, so that would have been really uh, awesome. But uh, There's kind of an unofficial sequel in Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, that's right. Yeah, there is, isn't there? What is it called? It is a playoff of... They're in like the Times Square. They're, yeah, they're in Times Square and the poster for From Dust Till Sean. Oh, well, there you go. So yeah. they managed to, to, in another universe, they did make it. They did make it, yep. And along with uh, Seth Rogen's jockey movie. <laughs> 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 so there you go uh if you can find your way into the spider verse you can still see from dusk till sean from dusk till sean <laughs> um, so we've we've talked about as we went through the summer we've talked about what makes this like a really good movie but we've reached the point of the show now nick where we sum up and you tell me why this is the best horror movie of all time i think for me anything that kind of makes me reflect on why I like something. I'm I'm a big fan of parody. I think parody is like a really like powerful and interesting thing that an artist can do. Uh, you know, homage is cool because you're kind of taking influence and remixing it. But parody, like you're distilling the style of something and then trying to emulate it. But hopefully, I think a good parody kind of is is the mirror shown to itself or the audience. And I think this movie really does that. Like I, some of my favorite movies are like that like this cabin in the woods is something it's like it's like taking the trope and taking the genre and really like analyzing it and you mentioned scream too i think is a really good example of this it's like it's like what makes this thing like we built these storytelling tools and we've kind of refined them over the years but then it just becomes so like common practice to just like put the mad libs together and make a new story kind of thing but to really like pick apart like why does this work and why is this interesting is such a powerful thing that I think Edgar Wright does. And the idea of taking a zombie movie and putting a love story into it, I think is a fascinating idea. And like all of his movies do that really well. Uh, you know, like Hot Fuzz is a love story in an action movie, you know, and World's End. World's End is a love story in a midlife crisis uh, sci-fi movie. You know what I mean? So it's like, you're really putting this this thing, these two ideas that really shouldn't go together, but really actually go together really well. It's like Western samurai movie or like Western sci-fi movie. They just kind of like work together in like an interesting way. Yeah, he, he genre bends in a way that is almost unparalleled. I mean, yeah. it, it's really remarkable the way he managed to do that. To me, this is the best horror movie ever made because it's I love you, man, for horror dorks. I right, mean, right. There's, there's a real adoration for the subject matter here, mm -hmm. to your point about parody. I think that that is part of what makes it so unique and so good is that it's not just like, oh, well, what's popular? Let's yeah. make a parody movie of that. This is something that he has a passion for and that he's able to, it, there's a legitimacy to it that comes through. And Simon and Edgar both said that it was a boyhood dream of theirs to make a zombie movie and that they're super proud of it. And I think that they should be. This is really 
it's just so good. The performances are great. The writing, I mean, we've talked about it at length. It's so sharp and just so many callbacks and foreshadowing moments. Um, it's incredible. And you, I think you could have, I think a lesser filmmaker could have done this movie. Right. But I think a lesser filmmaker would do it with that, like wink and a nod to the audience to be like, ah, it's a zombie movie. This is what would happen. Right. You know, this, everything is played so for as comedic as it is, everything is played so straight and serious. The consequences are dire. I, There's mo- obviously moments of levity, but like every main character almost dies. Yeah. They, Pretty much they, like the entire cast, except the two of them like die pretty dire for a comedy you know definitely i i think that you really hit it and i can't i mean everyone out there if you haven't seen this somehow i mean fix that immediately it's really spectacular and the love that we all have for horror as horror fans i think is something that edgar wright really shares and i think that he's able to communicate that in this movie and that love letter is why to me this is the best horror movie ever made Nick, I want to thank you for coming on the show. This is the opportunity where you can plug anything that you feel so inclined. Thanks for having me. Um, you can find me on Twitter at, at HeyNickMurphy. Um, if you want to check out my video game web show I do with uh, my two friends, Paul and Josh, it's on YouTube. Uh, it's continue with a question mark. You can go to youtube.com slash continue show or on Twitter at continue show too. It's really just a way for us to like plug the episodes that come out. Um, and then uh, we do a tabletop role-playing podcast called Pretend Friends. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, definitely check all those things out. Uh, Continue is great. I've been watching it for years. And oh, thanks, man. The other stuff is really, is really spectacular as well. As far as me, you can find the show on Twitter at LittleHorrorPHL. Um, the show is also on Facebook and Instagram. Find us there. And we're on Letterboxd, which is uh, really a great resource for people who are trying to keep track of what movies they've watched. And we, we use it to give a little bit of a reveal into my actual opinions on these movies. So if that is the sort of thing that interests you listeners, uh, feel free to check us out at George Heff on Letterboxd. And that's it. Feel free to also give us a rating and review if you're enjoying the show. And that's pretty much it. Thanks again, everyone. Bye.